I'm Damien the DM from Adventures in Aurelia, a collaborative storytelling experience told through a game of Dungeons and Dragons, part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other epically geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. This is the official GunnaGeek.com show. Here we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Stephen, Chris, and SP. Welcome to an all-new episode of the official Gonna Geek Show. I am Stephen, and I'm pleased to say Chris Farrell's here. Officially here, since we're putting official. He is officially here. Also, SP is here. I'm the unofficial fan cast version of SP. Yes, you are. Uh, hey, this is... So you're AI? I'm always been you're AI. You're fake SP? <laughs> no, fake is over there on the other side of the screen. Oh. Uh, uh, well, hey, we're here with the um, the uh, September, October, September uh, episode because we're recording this today on the 2nd of October because... We just had a couple of conflicts in Oct- in September, including me being sick and being like, I'm not going to podcast while I can't talk. And so, um, I mean, we, what's the difference, really? Full disclosure, we haven't figured out whether we're going to come back in a few weeks for a second November episode. We'll discuss that offline and let you all know on the second socials. Second November? Well, Are you sure you're still second not October, sick? October. Steve, Steven, I'm were, not- you hitting the, were you hitting the Molson before the show? First off. Hello, Molson. Egg? Yes. Second, yes, I am still sick. And third, can you blame me for wanting to be done the November episode? Because we said we're not doing a December. So that means that it'd be the end for the year. So, so that, what, what I'm learning here is podcasting with us drives Steven to drink. <laughs> Do you chase it with maple syrup or is it maple syrup? It's both. You know what I mean? It's both. You know. Yes. But th- we will update you in our Discord on our social media when we've decided uh, what we're going to do, whether we will have a second October episode or not. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Otherwise, just enjoy this. This is your latest episode of the official Gonna Geek show where we talk a bunch of geek news and we just harass each other the entire night by just getting mad at each other. That's what Chris has been doing pre-show the entire time. Make sure you check us out on X. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, I guess that is X now, isn't it? I just punched my microphone. (laughs) <laughs> that's what x made you do man <laughs> will give it to you <laughs> well thanks everybody who's in our live chat tonight if you didn't know this when we do record this we do stream live at geeks.live there's a lot of awesome geeky content on the gonna geek network including some other live stream shows we each have a different uh, live stream show that you can check out as well there's better podcasting all things good and nerdy and a whole bunch of other awesome content check that all out there but let's just roll into some news let's roll Roll out. All right, let's go ahead and start off with some plus. It's been the years of plus. We've got plus going everywhere. We've got Disney plus. We've got Paramount plus. We've got SP plus. We have all these pluses. But what about Google Plus? Uh, Google Plus was ahead of the curve, which is why they are no more. Ah, oh, damn it. I was what hoping it was back. Apple Plus. 
Uh, isn't there, is there Apple Plus? There's Apple TV Plus, and I, there's right. that's some kind of subscription thing. I can't remember if that's called Apple Plus or not. Ironically, Kent just posted in the chat, Gunna Geek Plus. I used to own that domain <laughs> of GunnaGeekPlus.com. They redirected to our YouTube. I don't think I own it anymore. There's been a significant downcrease or downturn in the amount of domains that the three of us mm-hmm. own, and I congratulate <laughs> every one of us for purging. That's because there were too many domains when I that's start going right. through it. And I'd be like, why do I have unverified Cody Goff, 20 random characters and something else? I don't remember the gag for this. <laughs> <Any random character. laughs> well, back- I paid for it for two years. Back on the plus train. Yeah, there's been lots of pluses. And I am pleased to say we've got one more plus because there is now a Chromebook plus that has been announced. In a Google blog post that came out today, uh, Google has announced that there is going to be a new line of the Chromebook called the Chromebook Plus. As they put it, quote, more than 10 years ago, we created Chromebooks to bring you easy to use computers that offer reliable performance and unmatched security. Today, we're introducing a new category of Chromebooks that takes the promise even further, Chromebooks Plus. With double the performance, Chromebook Plus offers built-in Google apps and powerful AI capabilities. It also offers Google Photos Magic Eraser and Adobe Photoshop on the web to help consumers boost their productivity, inspire their creativity, and make everyday tasks intuitive. It's a laptop experience that optimizes hardware performance with software apps and tools and starts at the price of $569 Canadian, end quote. So um, I think actually I merged. I have to admit, I think I merged two two paragraphs. One quote was from the first portion was from from uh, I believe from the Google blog. The second I believe was from Mobile Syrup. However, those were quotes in two different ways, but I screwed it up. And anyway, ladies and gentlemen, this is something that AI just won't do. <laughs> or will. The, the big thing with this is essentially elevated performance. Um, it looks like they're trying to. Uh, shake some of the stink that is Chromebooks, I think, and, and you, you know, create an established line that people might be um, a little more interested in as far as the capabilities of um, uh, resource and whatnot, something that might be a little, little upper tier. And it looks like really set the stage to be able to implement the uh, Google various AI capabilities because they've also announced that there is going to be sort of the the, the usual pixel idea where there's going to be feature drops. They've already announced that for 2024, they are planning on adding additional capabilities, uh, quote, more features to come, end quote. And that is bringing some of the Google AI capabilities directly into Chrome OS. And that includes some of image generation capabilities and things like that. They actually, I thought it was pretty cool. They They said that they're... One example of it is they want to be able to bring in like generative AI for your wallpaper or generative AI for your background. So I thought that was a neat a feature. And just to give you an idea for specs, it looks like the specs for this Chromebook Plus tier is going to be either an i3 12th gen or above or an AMD Ryzen's uh, 3 700 series or above with uh, 8 gigs of RAM and at least 128 gig storage. And then also they're making sure to put a 1080p camera in there. They know they know who the Chromebooks are targeted to. They've got an idea and uh, they want to make sure that there's decent video in there. So um, and, and that's for meetings and, and you know, school things. Oh, so, I so, thought it was for only fans. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could be <laughs> informal show of hands, as we discussed. Is, do any of us here use Chromebooks? I don't. I don't. But 
I keep thinking I should find the right deal because my kids Same do here. use them at school and I should probably learn a little more to be able to bounce ideas with them. How about yourself, SP? Do you use or have you used Chromebooks? I have not used a Chromebook like a basketball to bounce it like Steven obviously <laughs> wants to. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't bringing that up to be like, we're not equipped to talk about this, but more kind of to illustrate a point here of that there's a specific segment of the tech buying population that a Chromebook targets. And I don't think it's us, nor do I think it's most people that consume this show. Because I think that we want a little more out of what our computers are for us. And while I understand the concept of always being connected to the Google Cloud to be able to do things and stuff like that, it doesn't necessarily work with my workflow and we don't necessarily do things that a Chromebook can easily support. Although we are getting more and more audio editors that exist in the web and stuff like that, but there's nothing quite like having that interface on your machine that you take with you that you can edit regardless of connectivity and things like that. So while I think it's interesting, they're refreshing the Chromebook line and trying to find a way to drive interest. I still think the niche for Chromebooks is going to be a students, predominantly those in elementary, middle, and high school, and B, those that are supporting smaller workplaces where you need to just have web apps or something like that to interact with your customers or your product or whatnot. So I could see a use case where if I'm a business that runs like a big phone phone tree or something like that, yeah, Chromebook might make sense because everything's got to be online anyways. It's a lot cheaper to buy a dummy Chromebook than it is to buy a, a thin client piece of crap desktop somewhere in our chat uh kent says um uh chromebooks are trying to be windows laptops and they're overpricing themselves i think pricing is definitely a concern but one of the things that i think um is coming and i don't know that we're there yet is seeing the people who did have chromebooks as they were going through school and things like that and they're not gamers they're people who have used them getting to the age where they are going to have their own device. And and actually, you know, I, I should say, I think we haven't reached the the peak of that yet because I think there probably are some people who now do. I think it's been around long enough that, um, and that push has happened long enough that there probably are some people who are like in high school and things like that, and it's what they know. And if that's what they know, that's what they know. It, it, it's like how um, for a long time, there was a lot of people who, who were sticking with Apple products and then having big issues getting into the corporate world, but they stayed with Apple products because it was what they knew, even though they were maybe going through university and people are like, you you know, for this business, you should do no windows and things like that at the time. But people were sticking with it because it was what they knew and it worked for them. And arguably a lot of those people, it might've been a little more capability than they needed for their basic uh, schoolwork. So I think we might get some of that effect on Chromebooks. I do think the price is is a big question mark when you look at some comparables, but I guess it just depends on how easily it integrates into somebody's day-to-day workflow. I'm with you, Chris, not my workflow. I mean, we're also in a world nowadays where you don't necessarily need a laptop or a internet-connected PC to do what you need because we all carry around somewhere between $800 to $2,000 devices in our pockets that are pretty damn capable. You can't tell me someone who had a Pixel Fold or the Galaxy Fold or whatever couldn't do pretty much everything they'd want on that that the Chromebooks are also offering. And arguably, 
in an easier manner because all of those cell phones have cellular modems in them. So you can always be connected to the cloud unless, of course, there's no cellular connection. Well, with Chromebooks, even though a lot needs to be cloud integrated, they still work offline, don't they? Like that's that's the idea is don't they have like the the caching and things like that? That, that my understanding is there's some stuff that does. So in theory, again, in theory, I haven't dabbled one. This is just me from reading and stuff like that. If you were trying to do stuff in Google Drive and you would say left your docs open or stuff like that, it would be cached locally. If you didn't have connectivity, you could make your changes. And as soon as it has Internet connection, it would sync similar to what we see if you're running, say, um, Google's version of Word in a browser on your laptop with no Wi-Fi connection. I think it would work similarly. I think to my understanding was it was similar to the whole OneDrive philosophy where like if you OneDrive enables you to be collaborative if you need. And so if you save your documents into OneDrive, you've got them there locally, potentially, or, or you know, sometimes it is set to sync up. But um, I thought that was sort of how it works. And I thought the Google Drive aspect was built into Chromebooks, but maybe yeah, my, my understanding is wrong. So my understanding is it's built in and it's effectively your local storage is this your local storage is just there to be a cache of okay. the stuff that's in the cloud. That's why for a long time, look at early Chromebooks, the storage requirements locally were like tiny. We were talking like 32 gigs of local storage on an EMMC card because all it was there for was to cache things until there was an internet connection or to cache things that you'd be working on if you didn't have an internet connection. So that's my understanding of it. The one thing we are discounting though with Chromebooks is a lot of their policies and stuff for Chromebook for education is Google's made it really easy for sysadmins and school districts and stuff like that to manage fleets of Chromebooks. Mm, that's, that's something that, that we aren't thinking about that I think has become one of the primary drivers. Because I know the the public schools here, they all issue out Chromebooks to pretty much all the students starting in like elementary school because it's part of their uh, snowbird plan. When things get snowed out, everything's done over the Chromebook. There's assignments there they can work on. There's chat rooms and video chat they can do to get in to do collaborative stuff so that's one thing we didn't consider with it okay i just had an idea guys and nsp feel free to chime in here because i'm going to uh -oh. toss this over to you but we have a few different podcasts between all of us right like you know we have yes. one about podcasting for better podcasting there's one about consuming entertainment legends of shield we have one about general geekery and sometimes that's gaming and then we have this show uh, what maybe Google needs to hook us up with some form of um, Chromebook pluses so that we can review how well they work for all of our different use cases. Maybe maybe Google should do that. and We could talk about it on all those different shows. So in theory, it could work fairly well for some of the stuff we're doing. I don't know what we would use to replace using a local recording on hardware that we have. Like we could do Video Ninja I easily on a Chromebook. No problem we wouldn't know unless google hooks us up so google if you're listening you should hook us up and I, one quick advisory to people that are thinking about playing around with chromebooks is you might see them pop up on woot or on other sites from time to time you need to really pay attention to if those ones are still being supported because like you'll see mm. a chromebook pop up for like 150 yeah. bucks like oh it might be worth it and then you start digging into it and you're like oh there hasn't been a software update for this device in two years i don't really want that or you find out, oh, I can buy this one, but it runs out of software updates in six months, effectively. That's the end of life of Chromebooks is not standard across all different Chromebooks. So if you're trying to get one to dabble with, do your research to make sure you don't find yourself in a position where you're not even getting security patches. SP, what's your thoughts on all this? Have you ordered your Chromebook Plus yet? 
if you're stuck on the planet chromium how are you going <laughs> to read your google sheets i mean mm. it's got to be done on the chromebook if you're on planet chromium yeah. which i believe is owned by google then google sheets would be the bed sheets is that right you gotta sleep on something i'm getting very confused because sheets is a uh, convenience store slash gas station here and i got mm. distracted uh, we're obviously talking about their spreadsheets analog and not the gas station where I can buy hot dogs too for a dollar. Well, haven't we just turned this podcast to sheet? I see what you did there. The Bucky's is is way better than sheets. I don't have Bucky's anywhere near. Then me. you're not living the life. That's what I'm telling <laughs> Obviously. you. Obviously. <laughs> uh, just to recap our chat, by the way, we do have uh, Albert saying he feels old because in school he didn't have any computers. Uh, and then uh, Kent says that Chromebooks is taking the niche that Apple II had for us in school. And uh, Kent also said that he records with Discord online, but audio isn't good, which I think, uh, you know, that gets back to the whole cloud thing, right? Like, you know, if you are doing things that are capable of being cloud cloud-based or are, are based in the cloud even, not even capable, that's just the way they are then yeah, some of these resources might not be as important as they used to be when it comes to your local hardware performance. So, you know, I guess as we see that shift continue to happen, right? There is a lot of conversation on the r slash podcasting subreddit every once in a while about, I want to start a podcast. I have a Chromebook. What is out there that I can use? And everybody collectively, you can just hear it. I know it's an, you know, it's a textual only medium, but you can hear everybody else that's reading it going, <laughs> because it's just one of those things. It's the same thing as somebody asks about lavalier microphones and everybody goes, <sighs> it's just not a subject that anybody really wants to talk about in our slash podcasting because the tools are not necessarily there. Not because Google hasn't embraced podcasting, although that's probably part of it, because <laughs> there just isn't a development pipeline for those sorts of tools on the Chromebook. And the mm. Chromebook can't support the tools that are playing in both the Apple and the Microsoft architectures when you're talking about Windows and the Apple OS. As a matter of fact, most people that have Chromebooks and want to podcast, I'm like, okay, what kind of phone do you have? And they go, I have an iPhone. I'm like, use that because you're just going to have a world of pain and, and discomfort by using this Chromebook for podcasting. That's a specific example. These kids that are growing up with the Chromebooks in schools are not going to be able to adapt to higher STEM level and creative level jobs once they get out of school. They're not going to be able to do the graphic art. They're not going to be able to do the high-end engineering. They're not going to be able to do the high-end coding because they're bound by this architecture, which is great for schools because it's cheap, but it just doesn't apply out there to the business world. And I'm not even talking about the office suite, whatever <laughs> office suite that you use, whether it's, you know, the, the office from Microsoft or whether it's the Google online architecture or Evernote or whatever. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the office tools, you know, your, your business analytics, your engineering, your, your actual assessment tools as you get out there. And 
And part of me says you're doing these kids dirty. And part of me is like, well, at least they have something to introduce them to the tech world. They're going to have to learn something else as they spiral out of school into the business architecture. So, so it's an interesting point you brought up because we've actually been having discussions and I can't get into great details of it, but where I work, we do a lot of code development and things like that. And one of the things we're looking at is the fact that our, our Linux VMs that we use for development work and things like that, the license runs out in a year. So there's actually a concerted effort right now to look and see what we can replace that with. So instead of having more VMs, it was more of what they want to do is effectively with your issued laptop you have, use tools that are browser-based, browser-based development, browser-based access to your servers and stuff like that, that doesn't require this custom hardware, not custom hardware, but custom setup to be able to do development, but instead is if you can access it on the web or access it on the web via VPN that you're provided, here's how you do your development going forward. So they can get away from having to host hardware like that. So I think it's an interesting point you're bringing up. It's an interesting thing that we're looking at doing in the office right now, but they too haven't converged yet. That's not to say mm -hmm. they may not one day where we get to a point where it's as simple as doing development is you go to www mydevelopmenttool.com and that logs you into all of your, your compilers and things like that and you can do what you need to but we're not there yet and that's a fascinating path as we get there because more and more industry it seems like is trying to get away from having these custom environments just for development which honestly terrifies me a little bit because if i can't deploy code out to an environment that is similar to what we're pushing out into the oe i'm uncomfortable but again everything's shifting more and more to aws where you can do things like that it's fascinating. The problem I have with that is you're marrying the access up to these cloud development architectures with low-end processing chips. This Intel Core i3 12th Gen or Ryzen 3 700 series with only 8 gigabytes of RAM. You don't need all that much storage. So 128 gigabytes of storage, okay. I would prefer more like 256 or 512. But the 8 gigabytes of RAM... That's getting a little short in the, order to do even cloud development. The RAM is the stingy part, like the processor and stuff like that. Who gives a crap? Because again, none of the load is really on your you on have your to be dummy fast enough to go back and forth on the internet. That's yeah, an i three is fine for that. It depends on what kind of development architecture you're running. So i three is fine for that. One thing that I, I want to throw out here is the Mac Mini M two has eight gigs RAM um, by default. And then I think like your average phone right now is around eight, but it's pushing up. So I think that I think eight is in that area where where it's for something that's cutting edge, even on some of these alternative platforms, because Windows is a, a beast. Like you look at Windows, you're like, OK, Windows needs RAM. And then you're like, let's look at Mac. Let's look at Android. Let's look at phones. They are significantly less requirement than than uh, than Windows is. But, but that's because they're sharing the RAM radically differently. And it's capable of doing it with less RAM on those platforms, not on a Chromebook. Which which that's I guess that's my point is that a Chromebook is more like a phone than it is Windows. I mean, effectively, it runs Android apps still doesn't so natively. But I'm also not discounting that eight is is maybe not short because I believe if I remember correctly, like my S23, I believe has eight. But when you pushed up to the uh, 
the model of storage above mine, it went up to 12, which I think is a great example that even on a phone, they're going, okay, eight is short. So I'm not discounting the point that it's eight, that eight, eight is probably on the low end, but I do think that it's not insane for a Chrome. It's not insanely low for a Chromebook because it is based off of a, a more of an Android OS. But one of the things that I think is it, that you both bring up interesting is the idea of that workforce. I, I want to go back to that for a second because, yeah, you know, we saw that happen with Macs. We saw that where people were using their Mac laptops remoted into Windows because they're like, hey, I want to be able to work at home. And I, and I, I can do it from my own personal equipment, but I own a Mac. And then their employer's like, well, you have Windows. But um, that, you know, my workplace also has a similar thing that Chris was saying where a good portion of the users when they come into work, yes, they have physical hardware, but they're using what they call a thin client, which is basically, it's just, it's a, it's a box that is very low powered and their, their system is entirely virtual. So, you know, I think we are living in this era of change. And I think, and honestly, from everything my, my own job does, I have a, an actual, um, a laptop, but my job interacts with people who are using those and they constantly are running into issues with those. So I think we're seeing a change within the corporate environment going to these more remote options, but I've yet to see, I, I think we're a long way off from them being stable, but maybe I'm wrong. I, I don't, you know, I've, I don't work on that sort of aspect of deployment. So I'm just going off of users who are going, why can't I play this video without the audio stuttering and things like that? So that's, that's, you know, and, and I do see that. So, so I, I got a couple of points, uh, to, to counter with what you said, or at least to build upon what you said, eight gigabytes of RAM. Yeah. That could do like maybe this year, maybe next year. I don't know, but the low cost of these machines is going to be directly cut off by the fact that you're going to have to upgrade or buy new more frequently in order to stay in the architecture because it's on the low end. And then as far as thin clients in the workforce, yeah, it kind of works. It kind of doesn't because you have to call home to look for a license to run some of this uh, cloud-based stuff. And then it just bogs the system down doing a simple thing like opening up a document or presentation your email it just you call home and you wait three minutes in order for it to actually pop back up some of it's security enabled stuff but some of it's just because of this the thin client system going back and forth with the increased amount of data with these more advanced cloud-based services so even on typical office stuff like excel or sheets or some sort of spreadsheet and a document or a, a presentation it takes a while to go back and forth and it's frustrating as all get out and that's inside the workplace once you I leave the workplace and you do something like a vpn it is incredibly slow at least the application that we're using at my work yeah i was gonna say i think that depends on how your network is set up because my workplace everything's either with vms or vpns to connect to things and i haven't had those situations do you like, have oh, licenses I on your machine or do you have to call home for a shared license i have licenses that are on my vm when I yeah, need that, something. that's it's a shared license. It's different. So than that, a VM that's license. more of things were set up in a way that's not conducive to that kind of work. It sounds like to me because, but I, we all have issues with our IT staff on things we do. I'm sure, but <laughs> like it's been surprisingly smooth as we transitioned from having a workstation on our desk to being issued a laptop that we connect to a network, turn on a VPN, and fire up some VMs and can run some local 
office apps via the web if we want to. And it just works. And I just stole a line there from Apple, but it's been surprisingly nice. And it's a lot of stuff based, excuse me, a lot of stuff based off OneDrive for us. I'll say if if there was a current implementation where my entire system that I have now, everything I do was remotely hosted, I would jump in on that in a heartbeat. I, I love the idea of my computer being like my entire system, the, the operation. If there was, you know, limited lag, which I think is very capable. I just think there hasn't been the right amount of resources dedicated to it yet. If there was limited lag, that's the big showstopper. Um, it's in the cloud in a, a, a server farm that I know has redundancy in it. And the best part is if I went and I, you know, was on the road with a laptop, I would have the exact same performance. I would do that in a heartbeat, but I haven't seen the implementation yet on, on it. And I think maybe one day we'll get there, but uh, I, I don't know. That seems like a long way off. It's the way it's the way forward. It's what everyone's seeming to want to transition to. Yeah. Now, whether we can pull it off, who knows? Yeah. Like I said, they're doing the evaluation right now to see if we can get away from using VMs for development. I'm not really sure that's going to work. Well, get your Chromebook Plus and then subscribe to Disney Plus and Paramount Plus and YouTube Plus. And Gonna Geek Plus. Gonna Geek Plus and SP Plus. Where you get access to stephencam.com included. Right. Is don't there... actually go to that website. I don't know what it is. <laughs> is is there Rocket Plus SP? Well, I'm sure there will be in the future. I'm I'm sure the tech billionaires that are trying to fund getting Facebook or internet everywhere, I, I think, I you know, they might be in it. And uh, talking about that, in order to do that, you probably have to have satellites up in the air, which means you have to have rockets to get up there. And we have some of our tech billionaires with the rocket companies that are basically returning to flight after mishap. So let's run down the two major stories that we've been covering throughout the years here. We'll start with Blue Origin. I know Damien, the DM, uh, avid listener and third co-host of Better Podcasting, will really enjoy because he likes Blue Origin being headquartered close to where he lives. They had a mishap on September 12, 2022. I think we all kind of saw it where the capsule jettisoned straight up off the rocket while it was launching because it was an abort and the rocket that they were using didn't, yeah, didn't really operate as planned. So they called it a mishap and the FAA tweeted, and this is back when it was Twitter, actually, I think said, we have closed the Blue Origin New Shepard mishap investigation. The final report cites multiple root causes of the September 12, 2022 mishap and 21 correction actives that Blue Origin must take. This does not single resumption of New Shepard launches. And that was on September 27, 2023. The final report cites the cause as structural failure of an engine nozzle caused by higher than expected engine operating temperatures. In other words, it got hot. The FAA required Blue Origin to implement 21 corrective actions to prevent mishap reoccurrence, including redesign of the engine and nozzle components to improve structural performance during operation, as well as organizational changes so not only did they have to cool the nozzle but they had to reorganize their business practices as well and that, that's pretty strong words with faa to say 
you have to restructure your organization. That's 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 saying that what you had is failing, and it's basically the tech version of bankruptcy. So the closure of the mishap investigation did not signal an immediate resumption of new or new shepherd, new origin, new shepherd launches. Blue origin must implement all the corrective actions to receive the license modification from the FAA that addresses all the safety and other applicable regulatory requirements prior to next new shepherd launch. Some background here is new origins had a statement before saying we got it and we're making the corrective action and we're going to return to flight. Okay. And then the FAA said, we finished the investigation. They need to make, take the corrective action and return to flight. So we'll see what happens, but this is a step closer to the resumption of flight activities for blue origin. Simultaneously, they are doing another rocket development based off the uh, Cape Canaveral area, and it's the bigger rocket, the next generation rocket. So we'll talk more about that later. This podcast segment is not necessarily about Blue Origin's complete development, just focusing on what they have right now and the resumption from the mishap. Well, I I wanted, before you get into the next part, I wanted to ask you, I have totally lost track of what Blue Origin's big plan is right now. Like, don't go boom. Like, what, what, what is there on their immediate horizon? Like, I, I'm completely lost at, it seemed like they had a lot of contracts, a lot of things, but then this, this stall happened and now I haven't heard much about them. Well, they have a couple of things going on. First of all, they clamored back from their rejection of their lunar lander and they have a second contract now for nasa to develop a second lunar lander we talked about that on the podcast before also the next rocket is called new glenn that development is ongoing right now and i believe they will be launching that even the test launches out of cape canaveral and they have a a big site out there of cape canaveral a big huge um uh, building uh, an assembly building that they built, including the launch uh, infrastructure out there. So they're getting ready to go, but just because you have the building and the launch infrastructure does not necessarily mean that you have the rocket or approval to launch or anything like that. So I think they what they want to do is get New Shepard back in the air to do these little fifteen minute flights. They want to concentrate on their lunar lander because the Artemis project is ongoing and they're going to take those lessons learned and profits and then throw them into new glenn now, new glenn will be a quote-unquote mega rocket it'll be a bigger rocket it won't be as big as starship but it'll be a bigger rocket capable of getting into orbit and getting payloads into orbit and be reusable so that's their immediate plans i think they do have plans eventually for a larger rocket the name is escaping me at the moment but we're not going to see that for a long, long time because Blue Origin takes their time with development, probably because they just don't have as much money being poured into them as SpaceX does. And Albert wants to know when will they blow up the moon? Those weren't his words, but I'm interpreting his message that way. Albert, as soon as you get to the moon, they will try to blow it up. <laughs> but there's whalers on the moon. They carry a harpoon. And I can't sing the rest of the song because I get busted. <laughs> I mean, space whales are a thing, so it's true. they're up there. They'll take you to another galaxy far, far away. Blue far, up far. moon. 
away. Now, to get to the second part of this story, SpaceX also had a mishap. It happened to happen on April 20th of 2023. Uh, SpaceX had 63 corrective actions to make, and the FAA finally closed that out on September 8th, 2023. The final report citing multiple root causes of the mishap and corrective actions include redesigns of the vehicle hardware to prevent leaks and fires, probably also to develop destruction of the launch pad, redesign of the launch pad to increase its robustness. There you go. Incorporation of additional reviews in the design process, meaning stop speeding in your iterative development, additional analysis and testing of safety criteria systems and components, including autonomous flight safety system. In other words, when you blow it up, it should blow up and not continue to fly for a couple of minutes, and the application of additional change control practices. In other words, keep your design static enough to undergo a change request so you can figure out what exactly is the design that flew. Uh, The closure of that mishap investigation did not signal an immediate resumption of Starship launches at Boca Chica. SpaceX must implement all corrective actions, which Elon Musk then tweeted like the next day that they've done that. And uh, they have to not impact public safety and apply for and receive a license modification from the FAA that addresses all safety, environmental and other applicable regulatory requirements prior to the next Starship launch. Well, here's where it gets interesting, guys. Uh, Just unlike Blue Origin, they have another hurdle to cross, and that is uh, the powerhouse in spaceflight. Yes, we're talking about the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Agency. You guys get that? The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Agency. Yeah, for the space Mm -hmm. fish and the space octopuses, right? Well, for the space whales. Right, the space whales, yes. There there you go. There you go. So uh, (laughs) this, this came out that the Fish and Wild Game Service needed to conduct its own assessment. Uh, SpaceX has moved forward with their corrective measures. The Fish and Wild Game Service had yet to review the upgrades, particularly the newly installed deluge system at Starbase Launch Mount. And the Fish and Wild Game Services sent an email to news media, specifically Bloomberg, that said that the review process could span anywhere from 30 to 135 days. I think this is going to elongate the time that SpaceX is going to launch. Now, emphasizing the environmental concerns, the public affairs specialists at the Fish and Wild Game Service can conveyed to Bloomberg that, quote, once the service reviews FAA's final biological assessment and deems it complete, consultation will be reinitiated and we will have 135 days to issue a final biological assessment, which could take up to 135 days. So the FAA, the U.S. government and the Fish and Wild Game Service had come under some fire for allowing SpaceX to launch in a wildlife protected area and then managing to destroy much of that wildlife protected area let's see let's, let's count the way just go through my head of what's happened mm. let's see oh i a don't want to be in here right now Ugh. a large wildlife fire right One. after a test right uh the fact that they completely blew up the launch pad and threw concrete everywhere uh the fact that they've had leaks of 
the rocket fuel, the fact that they lost rocket engines, you know, falling off the damn thing because they've been hit by the concrete. Um, yeah, I and and the fact that they couldn't blow it up when they needed to. Like it could have been coming right back to Brownsville and they they didn't destroy it. So yeah, there's some concerns with I only count the five US. Well, that's, that's, that's just no what concerns. I said. That's just what I said. I mean, there's more there, Chris. All right. I'm trying to keep this short. I'm just saying it's only five concerns. Who gives a crap about the environment? Jeez, not that's sarcasm. Please don't send me hate mail. I realize <laughs> nuance endang- is lost on the internet as I said it. <laughs> there's some endangered species right there. Yes, I mean, it, it it's bad. <laughs> okay, so last time there was a big like a, a big brouhaha with SpaceX. We were kind of shocked at how quickly the FAA gave them approval. We figured there was some form of um, uh, behind the scenes, we'll call it discussion happening. Do we think that they could get the same thing happening here? Or do we think that the uh, with this wildlife and fisheries department, they're going to just slow roll this? Oh, absolutely. They're going to slow roll it because they don't like the fact that they're wildlife preserve has been overtaken by a major launch site so even though that the uh, cape canaveral is kind of a similar place they've gone through decades of these studies and whatever and this is kind of new to the boca chica area so everybody's really concerned and oh my gosh uh, world's gonna end that sort of thing and we need to protect the the one turtle or the one fish or whatever the problem really arose when spacex put this deluge system in and now they're introducing literally thousands of gallons of water in Mm. a very short time span to this area and it's going to protect the i i do believe that it's going to protect the area because it's going to prevent the launch site from blowing up as long as the rocket doesn't blow up on on the pad Uh, if the rocket blows up on the pad the game's off but i think they've engineered it so that it will at least go to uh, the the first stage separation without an issue there they've changed that there's a height firing that's going on so i can't promise anything beyond that but i think they can get it off the pad but it's still all that water it's a lot of water we haven't even seen the they've done some tests they've done a static fire and they've thrown out the water deluge system they've done the water deluge system by itself then they added on to it. We haven't seen everything that this thing is capable of doing. And I do think the fish and wild game services are justified in wanting to at least take a look at that. That said, unfortunately they don't have anybody that was dedicated to this whole thing. Like the FAA did the FAA actually dedicated a couple of people to the commercial launch services. I don't think the fish and wild game services did. So they don't have any dedicated resources to do this which I think is problematic when it comes to getting the launch clearances and the FAA won't clear it until the fish and wild game services does anything. So we're just waiting for fish and wild game services to do something. I think the impending shutdown that occurred just this past weekend with the U S government running out of money and because Congress didn't pass a budget, I think that did negatively impact what was going on. Even though there was no shutdown, the agencies actually had to take time to prepare for a possible shutdown. 
So we have 44 days. Will they be able before the the budget runs out again because they pass a continuing resolution? Will that 44 days be enough to complete this? I, I don't know. I if you're talking 135 days, you're probably still two thirds, three quarters of the way through it at that point in time because this statement came out a, a little while ago on September 19th, and that was when the 135 day clock started, basically at least in my mind. So you have possibly up to 2024 before you launch, which is unfortunate because NASA's Artemis program really depends on Starship working. Mm. And so the government is is being cautious, but one part of the government is affecting another part of the government. So we'll see where this goes. Uh, the rocket in defiance, the rocket is sitting ready to go on the pad. SpaceX had a complete company picture taken right in front of the rocket that was assembled saying, hey guys, we're, we're here. This is a great accomplishment that we did. And it was also a, hey, US government, let's uh, get going because we're ready to go waiting on you. I will say this. I'm, I'm okay if they do get really slow rolled here and they do get significantly delayed, even if it does impact the other projects in the pipeline, like Artemis and stuff, because yes, I think there is, there's benefits to the fail fast mentality they've been having, but not with such safety concerns we keep seeing come up and things that seem to be indicating a lack of thought and a lot of uh, a lack of forethought. So um, if that's what it takes to get a little bit of extra checks and a little bit better mindset going forward, I think it could be worth it. One of the early knocks on SpaceX was it's um, running fast in their iterative development, which is a different way to look at development. They were literally throwing rockets away even earlier on in the Falcon 1 process and Falcon 9 development process. But when you combine that with a lack of safety, then there is a concern. And that has always been a concern in the industry that the iterative development combined with a more risky uh, approach then could lead to massive failures. Mm. And even though the, the event on 420 was definitely a mishap, um, it could have been much, much, much worse. So in the scale of things, I don't think it was a Starship massive failure, but it was a massive failure enough where they said, it's going to take us one to two months and we'll be back. Well, you, you multiply that by four because of Elon time, that's four to six months. In their credit, they are within that window. I was shocked. I didn't know that they'd be able to reconstruct and, and fix the orbital launch mount in that period of time. They did. Uh, it wasn't the one or two months that Elon said, but it was within mm. the four to eight months, which I thought they wouldn't meet. So good on them for that. but. They still need to take a breather and and take a, a bigger look at things uh, because they're going to start dealing with human in the loop, the human, the crude launch systems with uh, the lunar landing system is not going to launch with humans on board, but they are going to land on the moon. And then one of the tests is to send a starship around the moon, much like Artemis 2 is going to do. And they need to be safe with that. Now, they do have experience with the Crew Dragon, which launches on Falcon 9, but they don't have a system in Starship yet that can that's human-rated. So I would prefer that they be extra cautious with the human-rated stuff 
And as far as the Rockets go, they need to get it up in the air and they need to be successful. And if they need to take extra time to do that, then why not? Let's take a little extra time. Let's go to a Taylor Swift concert. Let's, you know, relax a little bit. Make sure that we've got all our ducks in the row. You heard it here first. SP says that sometimes it takes a little bit more time and visiting a Taylor Swift concert to get it up. Yeah, those Swifties got it right, I guess. I don't have Taylor Swift concert money. <laughs> or luck. Uh, all right, Chris, let's Fair. talk a, a little bit about leaky Xboxes. What it, What is this? Right. So this is news that came up on about September 20th. But for those that are aware right now, there's an ongoing legal battle between Microsoft and the United States Federal Trade Commission regarding the merger that has been set up between Microsoft and Blizzard Activision. So as part of this, Microsoft has to share a bunch of documents that go out to the public to be able to review. Well, someone screwed up and presumably, or from what we've learned, it's on the Microsoft end on September 20th and uploaded a treasure trove of high-level documents and leaks that were supposed to be redacted from public view to the public-facing website. So we've learned a lot about Microsoft's predictions, ideas, future products they want to come out, some of their internal thoughts on competitors within the company, and it's fascinating. Now, one thing we need to keep in mind, we're going to discuss some of the, excuse me, some of the big takeaways coming out of this. We need to keep in mind, first of all, almost everything that came out in this leak was over a year old. So products that were planned in that time could have changed quite a lot. High-level ideas for the future could have changed. Emails we've seen from corporate bigwigs, there's probably been 20 or 30 different variations of it from that point in time, meaning a lot of other stuff could have changed. Another thing to consider that this is not the way Microsoft would have announced any of this to the public. The way it's getting out is not how they intended. So I'm not saying be a corporate bootlicker and feel bad for Microsoft, but I am saying maybe feel bad for the people that have been doing a lot of hard work on figuring out what the way ahead is for the company, what future products should be, things like that, because they put a lot of time in behind the scenes and instead of getting a cool moment where you get to announce it at a convention or at one of their events. It just gets leaked out online and discussed a lot. And that takes me to my final point as we kick this off. Like it or not, this is newsworthy. We should talk about what has come up in these leaks because it's fascinating the way ahead that Microsoft's talking about some of the opinions they've had on things. And it's also kind of interesting how the uh, media has kind of twisted some of these things into trying to make it sound far more console worry and clickbaity than I would have ever thought possible. And if you just read the clickbaity headlines and some of the stuff, you'd be like, oh, that's terrible. And then you go read the context and you go, oh, that actually sort of makes sense. So we'll, we'll discuss a few things in this that are just like that. You hear the headline and go, oh, oh, geez. Before we kick into those, one last thing, uh, Microsoft Gaming CEO Phil Spencer did react to the leaks the day it came out in a public release and in an email to his staff said it was hard to see our team's work shared in this way. I get it. It's newsworthy, though. We're going to discuss it. So sorry, Phil. While I emphasize, everyone else already beat us to the punch anyways. I just want to talk with my buddies about the cool stuff we heard about. <laughs> it's not I'm your fault. It. You you didn't yeah. do it. So here's the that clickbait. That we know of. That's right. That we know <laughs> of. Here's the, one of the clickbaity headlines that got floated around. And I wanted to put it. Microsoft considered buying Nintendo. Now, let's get into the nuance of it. Wait. Uh, so the way I should take that is that Microsoft considered buying Nintendo. That's that's where it ends, right? right? Exactly. So it got spread all along Reddit and things like that. Everyone's like, oh, Microsoft's trying to take over. 
And yes, there were leaked emails between Phil Spencer and his team where he discussed a possible acquisition of Nintendo. But it wasn't like Phil was like, we're going to throw X amount of dollars at it and make it happen. Here's what he said in the email. At some point, getting Nintendo would be a career moment. Spencer speculated that the Japanese games giant could be more open to acquisition offers in the future due to changing pressures on its board of directors. Quote, it's just taking a long time for Nintendo to realize that their future exists off their own hardware. A long time. So what did he mean? It's not Phil Spencer aggressively saying we're going to go buy Nintendo. It's Phil Spencer saying, hey, this would be a feather in the cap of anyone who's working here if at some point in time we're able to buy Nintendo because the way Microsoft sees the writing on the wall is their hardware is not what's going to sustain them. It's their cool games and stuff going forward that sustains them. So it got twisted into super clickbait. Chris, I do have a question for you there. Yes. If at some point Microsoft did indeed make a play to buy Nintendo, not saying it's happening or anything, but if they did, do you think that it would be allowed by governmental regulations? So to that, that's actually an interesting point. I don't honestly know, considering how difficult the Blizzard Activision stuff has been. And side note, it looks like the Blizzard Activision stuff should be going through any time now. Oh, okay. The appeals in the United States, I think, are pretty much dead. The FT, FE, excuse me, FTC did a terrible job of arguing their case and the, the judge kind of demolished them. But I think it would be very interesting. What it comes down to is even when Microsoft bought Activision Blizzard, they're still the number three shop in all of the land. If they bought Nintendo, it would be them buying the number two shop in all of the land. But I think they would still be behind Sony and their PlayStation. I tend to agree with what Kent's saying in the chat. The EU would probably block it, and I imagine the U.S. would try to block it too. But the U.S.'s stance on blocking also changes the political regime. So it would also depend on who won the election around the time they were trying to make that acquisition happen. So even if Microsoft wanted to do it, there's a probability and not insignificant probability that it would be blocked by the government. That is my personal opinion. Okay. Now, caveat, I'm no expert on how this stuff works. I just read I, a lot of you're stuff You're the online. one I go to with all this stuff. You're my expert. Okay, I have to say, that statement feels very Microsoft-y, like very wishful thinking, almost out of touch. I think there's a good case to be made that the reason Nintendo is relevant is the hardware and not the software. But remember, Microsoft's stance on things, and we'll sort of touch on as we get in here, is that the physical hardware that's in a customer's house becomes relatively unimportant. That's how they see things being years down the road. Well, I'm talking about the it's just taking a long time for Nintendo to realize that their future exists off of their own hardware. Well, that might be Microsoft's, but if, if Nintendo's niche has been offering a certain form factor for hardware, then what you're basically saying is that we want to absorb the Nintendo games and, and not have the essence of Nintendo anymore. Well, Kent brought up a point that I was going to bring up. Nintendo is good because they're IPs, not necessarily because of the platforms things go on. Remember, we're a generation away from the Wii U that was roundly criticized for being just poop. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And from the Wii that started off strong and petered out. And before that, the GameCube, which started out well and then petered out. I, the big I, thing that you look at if you're Microsoft is the money with Nintendo is Mario. It's Legend of Zelda. It's the IP and the stuff that's owned there. And if you can put that on multiple platforms, that makes you a bunch of money. I think some of that software gets touted because of it being on Nintendo. Like some of the stuff, so, if you if you had some of these Nintendo games on the same 
capability on the same system as Xbox, they start to show that they're not actually that great of of games. They're just they're a niche that has found a, a home with a certain platform. And so Nintendo first party games, I would disagree with you on. But some of the other stuff there, like for instance, you can run the legalities of this are shady. I haven't done it myself, but if you own a copy of the game and it's an archival copy, I think it's technically legal to do so, but don't take it from me. I'm not a lawyer. But if you emulated the most recent Zelda Tears of the Kingdom on a PC, you can get 4K mm. visuals. You can push it so that it just looks amazing. When you play it in handheld mode on a Nintendo Switch, it's 720p. Mm. And it, if you're lucky, stays around 30 frames per second, but will dip down to 20 to 25 a lot. So Phil's right in that regard, I think in that their hardware can't adequately support some of their goals for their games. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just look at the examples you gave about what failed and what succeeded. And I think if the IPs were really strong, even with poor hardware, they would have really taken off. And so... They did. Have you looked at the sales numbers? No, I'm talking a lot about the, of the Wii U. The Wii U example. Uh, the Wii U example. If their IPs were really that strong and and... and they, they but, really were a powerhouse. Then people would go, okay, yeah, the Wii U has problem, but it's the only way I can get this highly in-demand game. And so I don't know. I think the fact that we had such success with Wii and such success with Switch, which are very different physical platforms, uh, you haven't told me enough to change my mind. So. so I would argue that the rise of a third, a number three, or it was a number two at that point in time when we were talking about the Wii U and Microsoft with the Xbox having built up made it so that choice came into far more play there where people were just kind of sticking to one console at that point in time. You had a lot of people that went to just PlayStation or just Xbox and things like that. And that's part of what hurt Nintendo with the Wii U and things like mm. that. Plus, they were also launching like half a cycle behind everyone else, which we're still seeing with the Switch and supposedly the Switch 2, which I guess people have seen hardware for and it's equivalent to last gen consoles. So Xbox One and PS4 spec wise so we'll see it's going to be interesting i see where phil spencer's coming from i don't have necessarily the same vision or breakdown of things that he does but hey it's an interesting thought he also had another thought that he shared that a lot of people have found controversial but i sort of agree with and he has stated that quote AAA publishers were slow to react to the disruption of digital storefronts like steam and shops built into the xbox and the playstation he wrote that third-party publishers were unable to replicate the dominance they established back in the days of video game retail after losing the advantage of highly exclusive access to brick-and-mortar stores. Quote, they have not found a way to effectively cross-promote, they have not found a way to build their publisher brands that drive consumer affinity the way Disney has in video. He continued talking about AAA games, specifically relying on risky all-in bets that we see with a lot of AAA games, saying that the role of a AAA publisher has changed and become far less important in today's gaming industry. So I sort of agree with that. Now, when you start talking about some of the bigger companies out there that absolutely nail their AAA releases, they can afford to rely on that bet from time to time, like Rockstar when it comes to a Red Dead game or a Grand Theft Auto game, things like that. But we've seen a massive increase in the number of indie games that come and become mainstream. And you see on multiple platforms, think of like Vampire Survivors, which is a simple top-down dungeon crawler kind of game. Hades, which went massively insane on PC, then came to all the consoles, including the Switch runs Hades and they're they're all really good games and it's kind of made it so that you don't have to be the big AAA developer bet all of your money on this big game that comes out every four or five years and have it win and 
I think there's also a point that a lot of these AAA publishers were so used to, we'll just ship our game off and you'll buy it at KB Toys or Toys R Us. Well, nowadays it's okay. I can buy that game by pushing a button on the storefront of my PlayStation, but I can also buy six different indie games that cost less in total than the, than the game I've just bought. I think it's an interesting point of view, but I think it also is something that he kind of has to say based off of the lack of success until recently that Microsoft has had with large first party games. I.e. until Starfield came out. Yeah, it does feel a little bit like wishful thinking. (laughs) It does. It doesn't. It doesn't. Because we've seen the rise of the indie gaming movement that has really impacted AAA games and AAA titles. Plus, we've seen a bunch of AAA titles just fall on their face. Mm. And if you fail once, it's real hard to recover. Look at the developers of the new Saints Row game. Closed up shop. It was a bad game. I bought the game. Ugh, why did I buy this? It has nothing to do with the last Saints Row games. They just changed it into something and made the gameplay weaker. Those are the risks you run. I got to say, that's one of the parts that I really miss about doing this show weekly is it seemed like it, we were regularly getting you being like, oh, I bought this thing, this 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 app or this game, and it was a disaster. And then you would rant about it. And I, I miss living through your misery. <laughs> uh, <laughs> next up, this one was interesting. We finally got a breakdown into the ownership percentages of the new Xbox series line of devices. Now, Let's caveat this. Remember, these numbers are from about a year ago. So a year ago, when these emails were going around, these presentations, we had about what three years worth of sales numbers in regards to the Xbox series consoles, things like that. As of April 2022, they had numbers saying that 74.8% of Xbox series gamers were gaming on the series S. The remaining quarter were playing on the series X. So for those that aren't familiar, the series S is the cheaper alternative with less storage space and slightly and a bit less powerful than the series x so early on it was 75 percent of the crowd was buying on the cheaper alternative about a year after that there's some more recent studies that say the intel base is about excuse me install base now is about 50 50 so i think it's interesting to see how that trend was and what it's shifted into now Maybe it only interested me on that one. <laughs> no, that that is um, okay. So, so what do you think this fact says about the future of of the console? Then, like, what 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 do you take away from this? My takeaway from it, yeah, is that a lot of people wanted to have two consoles when it came out, so they bought a PS Five and an Xbox Series S. Is honestly what I think happened here, and I think that word of mouth has continued as things came out with xbox game pass adding games new games coming that people want to play and has driven people to want the more powerful hardware Mm. i I don't know that there's i think the numbers are fascinating to see how they shifted that much in that given time and i have my concerns personally about what the series s means long term for the series platform whether that's going to hold back the series x when all is said and done say we get to the end of the life cycle in about 2027 as the series s console held back cool stuff from being done on the series x because they pretty much said if you're going to release a game on an xbox it has to play on both the series s and x one thing that had prevented me from buying into the new series of consoles on both playstation and xbox was availability and cost and i haven't really seen that differ from the pandemic and we're three or four years away from you know these consoles entering in whereas before with the xbox ones they were available at much much cheaper prices 
eventually, which allowed more people to buy into it. And I'll be honest, if it was cheaper, I would easily buy into it. But it is very expensive. Right. So they've licked the availability problem about as for about a year now. It's been pretty easy to find them. But the thing they haven't licked is the cost, because mm-hmm. by all reports, Microsoft loses money on every Series X that comes out is what the theory is. Sony supposedly makes a modest profit on their hardware. So I want to say during back to school, they actually were selling the PS5s for 50 bucks off, which was the first discount we had seen on the PlayStation 5. There's also a rumor we'll see a Black Friday sale on them because supposedly they have a new SKU that's going to be dropping for the holiday season. So we may see some price drops temporarily for all of the next gen consoles, but it, I think that could also just be wishful thinking from folks. So what you're saying is the new SKU will skew the prices. Indeed, it will. Indeed, it will. Another thing, and this gets more into the hardware than anything else, but another thing that's preventing me from jumping in is the fact that I would like a disc player for both DVDs and Blu-rays just for movies that I still have in physical stock sort of thing. And the cheaper consoles are the ones without an optical drive. So it's like, uh, damned if I do, damned if I don't, if I want just one system with an optical drive, I have to pay more money. So keep that thought in mind when I get to a later piece on here, because we're going to talk about the disk drives there. <gasps> Ooh, nice segue. Continue. Ooh, nice segue. So we're not getting there yet, but we were talking about PlayStation 5. So let's talk about Phil Spencer's view on the PlayStation 5. Now, this also got hilariously spun out of context as people are like, oh my God, I'm shocked Phil Spencer owns a PlayStation because he was talking in emails to Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella about the PlayStation 5 and the PlayStation reveal. And if you've followed Phil Spencer on Twitter, if you followed him on any of the press junkets that he does, things like that, he's been pretty open about he plays games on all devices, be it PC, Xbox, Switch, PlayStation. He plays on all of them. He'll play with fans on all of them. He's played Destiny 2 with fans on a variety of different consoles. People have gone and looked at his gamer tag on all of them to see what Phil's playing. I've randomly invited him to games and he'll pop in. So Phil's a gamer. So him owning a PS5 isn't surprising. People tried to kind of spin his comments about PS5 into console boy war or console fanboy wars. I don't see it that way, but I understand what he's saying. So what is it he exactly said that got people fired up? It was in an email to Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella. He described the Xbox series line as, quote, a better product than what Sony has, not just on hardware, but equally important on the software platforms and services. We have the ingredients of a winning plan. Today was a good day for us. People turned that into, oh my God, Phil's crapping on the PlayStation. No, it's Phil saying, based off what we saw, I think we're in a good position. I don't have any issue with what he said there. Do you really want, and if he was coming out and being like, oh, we're effed, that'd be a completely different story, but it's, we're competitive. You know, if he came out and he he just completely crap talked the ps5 i'd still be like oh oh well you know that he's entitled to his opinion and it might be delusional or you might there might be you know if he cited reasons you might be able to break apart them as as whatever but you know I'll, i'll use the term negatively talking negatively about a competitor on a product you have helped build i think is probably a good thing that's probably what you want for the person who has has been leading the project to, to be like, I'm confident in this product. Right. So I think that's fair. Some people were trying to spin this into, oh, Phil craps on PlayStation it was more. And I always took it how I read it was Phil looked at what they're offering and says, no, I think we're in a good position still, which I think is a legitimate thing for him to have the opinion of. And other people share that opinion. 
it's just a dumb thing that people got fired up about, but that's what video gaming communities on the internet seem to want to do is just get mad about dumb things. <laughs> it's worse than the Star Wars fandom. <laughs> no. I know who to thunk. So why I wanted to talk about disk drives, we got some insight into the mid-cycle refresh of the Xbox Series X. There were some images shared out of a PowerPoint slide deck and some discussion of the hardware. So potentially, as of about a year ago, the mid-cycle refresh was going to be codenamed Brooklyn. It will not include a disk drive in the Xbox Series X. It will be cylindrically shaped, so it will be placed upright. Leaked data indicates possible hardware and fresh refresh, excuse me, includes more internal storage. Two terabytes of storage is what was stated. Faster Wi-Fi, so it would have Wi-Fi 6E, reduced power consumption, and a new controller. Why did I bring this up? Because Sony has supposedly been looking at putting out a midline refresh of the PlayStation 5 that people have started calling the Slim that would supposedly, excuse me, supposedly work with a detachable USB-based optical drive. Why I bring that up is Microsoft runs Windows. Windows does all sorts of things with USB drivers. They're putting USB-C ports all over this new Xbox in the midline refresh, supposedly. I don't think it would be unheard of for Microsoft to be like, yeah, we'll make an external drive. You can buy for it or just buy any drive that Windows supports and plug it into your Xbox. And there you go. This is my speculation. This is not something that came out of the leak. This is just me thinking out loud that, hey, Xbox is based off of and built off of Windows. There's absolutely no reason why they couldn't just say, here's your USB optical drive, plug it in and go. I, I'm actually surprised we haven't seen this happen already. And the reason I say that is because it is it is unusual now for optical for, for computer cases and things like that, like modern ones to have spot for an optical drive. It's yes. like you the trend is to have USB. And I'm surprised we haven't seen that happen. Um with this because there is a good portion of the population that doesn't doesn't want the same thing that SP wants and there's a certain population that does want what SP wants. And so if they're like look, we can make it prettier without it and it's like, you know, 55% of the people don't want it, then they'll they can lean into that. Um and like you said Windows, come on, like how like the the jump is right there. It's it's a logical jump and I'm also not surprised to see the the mid cycle uh, maybe not be having it. We kind of saw the end re refresh on the Xbox One go this way when they did the all digital. Microsoft doesn't want you to go buy physical discs. No. Why? They want control. Because they get a bigger cut if you get either Game Pass mm -hmm. or buy the game digitally through their storefront. If you go to GameStop or Wally World or insert random retailer here to buy a disc-based game, their cut's not as much. That's what drives that move there. Mm -hmm. I'm fine with the games themselves being electronic. My issue is the uh, movies and TV series and personal videos that I have on DVDs and Blu-rays. And I would like to be able just to have one device in order to watch them. So external drive would be fine with me, except for the fact that you have to have a specific driver for it, which Windows isn't compatible with every single uh, driver, USB driver out there. And you have to have the software involved to play it. Now, if they integrate the software into the uh, Xbox OS, then I'm fine with it. Well, but so there in is... Regards, in regards to the Xbox, it's just an app you download that's the DVD player because 
why they did it, my understanding is they don't have to pay the license if they don't pre-install it on there. So there's a license fee that they then have to pay when you download the Blu-ray player, for instance, on the current line. So if they would even have that capability, if, if I would pay X amount, whatever for, for the drivers to download, that would be great if it was standardized within there, like on the, the windows architecture, it's not standardized. You have to buy, even if you have an external one with a driver that works, you still have to buy the software in order to play the DVDs and the Blu-ray, which I would be fine with if I would be guaranteed that it would work. And the last time I went down there, I did not down that path. I did not find something that works. So I have some history. Maybe that history is dated, but the history I have is not a hundred percent for these drivers and for the software. So that's a concern that I have. Uh, but I'll say this for Xbox and PS five Blu-ray drive just works. I've, I've done it on both. You just pop an external drive. Well, I don't have, there's none that do external drives at this point in time. So this yeah, is all in that's theory. My, that's my concern is my the future argument here. is that if they can get the drivers to make that work, they already have the apps on those devices that read and play movies and stuff like that. It's just a matter of making the drivers work. Now, presumably Sony's plan is to be a Sony first party external drive is what the rumors are. I don't know what Microsoft's plan is. It's just me theorizing that they would either make one of their own or just be like, hey, these drives are supported. Plug them into your Xbox and call it a day. Who knows what they actually do? This is all just information from a year ago and from Sony, I think six months ago, where people are making a lot of theories and guesses. You know, hardware going away is is always been a thing, whether it was a floppy drive or or, you know, something else. And I think we're just headed that way. And and what the history has always been is that there is some form of alternative that tends to be around for a certain while until it's gone forever. And what I mean by that is, is you look at things like a VHS, right? Is like for a long time, people continued to have to buy independent VHS players. Like, you know, you had the v- VHS DVD combos for a while. And then those just like, no, you're just getting a DVD player. And then the VHS went away. And and it's the same thing with, you know, computers and floppy drives, right? Like, you know, then the floppy bay was gone and, and people had external floppies and then you don't even get those anymore. And so oh. I wonder well, when we're going to get that with the whole concept and the way that these these studios keep trying to push us towards streaming and stopping the physical median. At what point do they lean heavily on things like Sony and Microsoft and go, hey, what's it going to take? What What's the percentage you want to, to stop? To like stop actively supporting these drives so that we can push people more towards streaming. So honestly, I think we're rapidly getting there. Go look in a Best Buy sale over a weekend or just go to your local Best Buy and go to the television section and look for the section where you'd find Blu-ray players. Back in the day, there'd be like 20 of them there. Nowadays, you get like four or five. So we're starting to see less and less on the market all the time. I don't disagree, but on this podcast, we also had the these streaming services are taking away the access to some of these series. And yeah. the only way that we have access to it is through our physical media. So there is still sure. a desire to have something to play this physical I, media. I don't disagree. The desire is there, but the people that make that stuff don't care because they don't want people to do that. Eventually, at some point in time, my thought is, and I, I think Stephen was expressing similar, is that if those go away, that's we can make people buy a license to stream this and do whatever we want with it or buy digital copies and things like that. We're rapidly and I'm uncomfortable with it myself getting away from the point where 
you buy a disc, that disc will always work for you. The discs may not be out there forever. We're starting to see it internationally. Disney's already said for certain movie releases, they're not even going to do physical releases for them. Yeah, I I hundred percent there with both of you. Uh, I agree, SP. There, we're, we're getting hosed here with the way they're doing the digital services. Absolutely, that that is the case. I'm also right there with Chris that I think that this is it, this is intentional, and that's what I was getting at. Is I I wonder how long until the studios are the ones that go look. It is more profitable for us to hose the consumer right now for later dividends by pushing them into this format, and that's where I think they're probably going. And they're willing to piss us all off right now and be like, look, we're rapidly losing physical support. And I think, you know, we will reach that point eventually. Like the people who had all those Disney collections on VHS, where it's like, eh, eventually you couldn't even get it. And they're like, well, only too bad. We're doing the DVD platform. So I wonder when that greed finally makes the big push to, to make it hard for us to play our discs. We're already seeing it. And I'll, I'll mention this and then I'll get the last point on there, which is if you go on some of these subreddits for physical media like Blu-ray and 4K Blu-ray and stuff like that, there's a lot of folks in the United States that have now realized a lot of targets have now phased out all of their physical media mm. for movies. Now they have vinyl in place of it, but there's a <laughs> lot of places as they did their most recent updates to their electronic section stuff, completely took out CDs, DVDs, and Blu-rays. They're gone now. If you want them, you got to go online and buy them which will be very interesting come Black Friday because there's also used to be something that people would clamor for and now has become less and less. So sadly, I think the trend is there and I'm not sure how we reverse that trend. Well, maybe I need to buy myself a couple of external Blu-ray players for my computer and buy a couple of uh, Blu-ray set-top boxes and just leave them, leave them in a closet. I mean, they, that's great until they decide that Avengers 6 is never coming out on physical media, for instance. But at least I could is, play my historical. That's true. <laughs> or you could it's rip your funny historical. funny that you think there is going to be an Avengers 6. Why wouldn't there be? It'll be... They've Aven already done four. Avenge Avengers 6. We're desperate for cash. That's what it'll there be. <laughs> <laughs> so it'll be a finish clip show. <laughs> to finish things up, we did mention there'd be a new controller. It's going to have adaptive uh, triggers similar to what the PlayStation is. But we also got a look in this leak at what Microsoft's next-gen Xbox ideas were. This is stale data, so it may change. But there were slides projecting the future of Xbox platform indicating that Microsoft is very much looking at the cloud to help power its post-series X and S consoles, which they're looking at for a 2028 release. In their information, they describe such a machine as a next-generation hybrid game platform capable of leveraging the combined power of the client and cloud to deliver deeper immersion and entirely new classes of game experience. Why does this sound familiar? Because this is something Microsoft has talked about before and they've dabbled with before. Go back and look at the old Crackdown games on Xbox One and I think Xbox, three, Xbox 360, I think it was. They made a big statement of saying, you can blow up the entire city because how'd that work? When you blew something up, all the rendering was done in the cloud and pushed down. So. This is where Microsoft sees their competitive advantage. They own the Azure cloud. They got servers out the wazoo. If we can sell you a, a relatively moderately powered box that has great internet connectivity, maybe that's the, the winning ticket for them to be able to push out their vision of gaming. This shouldn't surprise us. This is what we've seen them talk about. What I'm curious to see is this is Microsoft's plan for their next-gen console. I wonder how that marries up with, say, Sony or Nintendo and what their plans are. 
I think that this whole cloud thing, and we've talked about the the issues with cloud with good connection and things like that. Um, I think we probably will see a similar heavy hand that we seem to be seeing with the the physical medium where or physical media where it's like they're going to make the active decision that if you don't have a certain connection, you're not equipped for modern gaming. And um, I suspect that has to do with probably the amount of percentage of multiplayer versus single player these days. I don't have any numbers on that, but I, I expect the money is is in multiplayer gaming. And so they go, well, if people are multiplayer gaming as it is, they got to have decent connections. Therefore, the majority of our base has decent connections. And so I think that's probably where we'll see that happen. And there'll be a lot of irritated single player gamers out there. But in the end, if they can but make more money and have more control, I think they'll just, you know, push towards that cloud. That trend is already there because they can jam a lot more microtransactions and season passes into no multiplayer games versus a good single player game. You might get people to buy a season pass or some DLC, but that mm. is not a recurring cost that people will do from time to time. Now, one thing to keep in mind with this, this is Microsoft's vision for 2028. So we're talking five plus years down the road when they would put this out there. I think we're looking ideally at a very different world in regards to internet connectivity for a lot of folks too with the advent of 5G and more ubiquitous internet access for folks out there. So I think that changes things. If you look at it in today's world, a cloud-based console, we've seen the struggles that folks like uh, NVIDIA's GeForce Now with Stadia, things like that, that have been problematic. But who knows? Yeah, I I think also in five years from now, um, uh, we'll all be dead. So I think that's the way it's going to be, right? You know, we'll just I mean, you will, because we're going to drop a space station on your head. <laughs> <laughs> NASA needs a new tug for that first. NASA yeah. doesn't though. Shh. Shh. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> that's what I had. There's a crap load of stuff there about the Xbox leak. There's more stuff that we didn't discuss here. It's a fascinating look at what they saw to be the future at this given window a year, year and a half ago. I'm sure that plans have evolved and changed in that time. So who knows if what they've predicted here, what they've said here comes to fruition in five plus years. But it's interesting. And I think it'll be interesting to see how their competitors react to the information that came out in this leak. All right, SP. Yep. Have you ordered your backup Blu-ray drive yet? No, I. you know, I was going to, because I got some series on DVD and I started to explore the external a USB DVD Blu-ray drive recently. And I was unimpressed with the selection and the assertion of whether it would actually play the DVDs or Blu-rays. There's some good options, cheaper options out there today than there used to be, but um, maybe I should just bite the bullet and do it so that I could while I'm doing something like podcasting with you guys, I could on one of my additional screens be playing one of the shows that I need to catch up on. So, you know, you know, multitask. Okay, let me ask you this. Would it help support the cause if we exclusively release the Gunna Geek show through disc? Would would that would that help? Mini disc? The like the the PS disc thing, the DVD disc. I mean, what kind of disc are you talking about? Uh, I'm not sure. I haven't figured that out yet. Uh, maybe. Then no, it wouldn't help. What was the, the, the big one? What was the massive one called? Laserdisc? 
Laserdisc, would that help? Oh man, Laserdisc was uh, Laserdisc was awesome. Those <laughs> some of the best Laserdisc. Star Wars releases yeah. were on Laserdisc. You know that game that the game uh, uh, I can't remember what it was called, but you were playing the the prince and you were trying to you know save the princess or whatever. That was Laserdisc based. Do you guys yeah. even know what I'm talking prince about? Prince of Persia, right? The what? No, it's a different one. I'm thinking of. I was thinking of the Prince of Persia series. No, that was not it. I I don't know what you're talking about. I'll admit it. Gosh, I'm old. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for running us through that, Chris. I uh, really appreciate that. Those are some interesting uh, leaks that they self-imposed on themselves. Uh, but uh, that was fantastic to go through those. And it sounds like we have a whole bunch of future discussions based off of all of this and debates and disagreements, which is what I love about this show. I love mm-hmm. the different points of view, especially those who say that uh, Xboxes should be leaky and there's other people that say they should be dry. I would hope they're not leaky if they're based on nuclear power. Oh, it's a good point. Good point. Although maybe I'll eat that um, nuclear powered fish that's going to come out of the SpaceX. Three eyes, right? Just like from uh, Blinky from uh, The Simpsons. The Simpsons (laughs) predicts everything. (laughs) Well, thanks, everybody, for coming on. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you don't chat with us in between the show, you definitely should. Come over to our Discord server over at gunnageek.com forward slash Discord. We have an awesome geek community there. It is the best geek community around on Discord. You will not find a better one than the Gunna Geek Discord community. And if anybody thinks elsewise, they are mistaken because we have very nice individuals over on the Gunna Geek Discord community that is very open-minded, very thoughtful and most importantly they kiss my ass so uh that's that's the best part about that community what (laughs) no they don't (laughs) well i i thought you know i'd have to try to bring it down to reality and then i realized that's the the most out of touch thing i could have said (laughs) way way over the line to the other side on that one buddy Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, there are some other awesome podcasts to so check out Chris on all things good nerdy and check out SP on Legends of Shield. And I have it on good authority that Legends of Shield will only be reviewing material that SP has burnt to disc and watched on disc. That's my understanding. Ooh, then we're going to be really limited <laughs> on the, the material that we get to watch because I don't have time for that crap now. All, all jokes aside, uh, there's actually been some really awesome streaming talk over in the Discord server. So if you haven't checked that out, go to the TV and film talk channel because a lot of people are talking about the way they've been having to reassess their streaming uh, situation as all the, these platforms have have been split and also shut down and reduced their offerings. So it's been a, I've been really enjoying that discussion over there that seems to keep coming back every month. So so thanks to the community for that. But that's going to go ahead and wrap it up for this episode. So for episode number 405 of the official Gunna Geek show, I'm Steven saying it's blue behind me. Or is it really in real life? It might be green. Who knows? I know Steven is actually wearing a blue shirt. So odds are it's really green. I think Steven's shirt is uh, AI generated. I'm Chris, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, everybody. Thanks for checking out another episode of the official GunnaGeek.com show. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on YouTube. 
You can always join us for our live recording sessions at www.geeks.live. And remember, you can find our full back catalog at gunnageek.com forward slash show. If you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunnageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next show. 